came a long way. That's what the song say. And I could do all things. I could do all things. Yeah, I could do all things. Yeah, yeah. We came a long way. That's what the song say. And I could do all things. Hey, what's up? What's going on? And welcome to the Be Real Podcast, where we keep it real on social issues, history, news, faith, and everything in between. It's your one-stop podcast with thought-provoking talk and real content. Now, it's time to get real with your host, Brandon Mosley. Yo, welcome, welcome, welcome. But let's just let this song swag out for a second. Have some fun with me. You came too far. You can do it all. Believe in yourself. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys for being here at the very first episode of the Be Real podcast. But before we get into the topic at hand, I want to tell you about who I am and why I'm doing the podcast. First, I'm a I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a teacher. I'm a preacher. I'm a little bit of everything, to be honest with you. And I love having fun. So this podcast is going to be about a little bit of everything. When I say social issues, when we're talking about news, current events, history, government, politics, a little bit of everything, faith. And the reason why is because I've been always able to put my hands on so many different things. As a teacher, I teach government, economics, an ethnic studies course, a college preparatory class, and also history, U.S. history to be exact. And in education, in terms of my background, I have a bachelor's in political science, I have a bachelor's in public administration, and a master's in education. Um, I started actually preaching at a young age, at the age of six. I know, I know, I know. Super young. When I first started to read, uh, the first thing I read was the Bible. I mean, I was one of those kids. We went to church all the time. I mean, I was at church all night, and and my favorite place to go was church as a kid. So when I say I wanted to be able to talk about all those things, that's why. Um, I'm a father, too. I have a toddler, or I don't know if he's a toddler anymore. He's five years old, right? And I have a newborn, barely two months, right? So... There's a lot that's going on in my life. I have a beautiful wife that I've been married to coming up on seven years this month and met her when I was 19. I'm 33 now. So, I mean, we're going to be talking about relationships and things of that nature and building credit. It's going to be a bunch of different things. That's why I said this is your one stop shop and this is the perfect place to to sit and, and, and have some dialogue. And yes, we're going to have guests on and experts on for the first few episodes i want to make sure you hear my voice and get comfortable with my voice if that makes sense and the reason why i'm doing this podcast is because i've been pushed to do it um, for my students first and foremost so this is dedicated to all my former students and uh, future students and class of 2020 i miss all of you guys and they kept telling me all my former students for years you need to have a podcast youtube do something And my wife kept telling me the same thing and I always wanted to do it, but I kept coming up with excuses. Then COVID hit and told me no more excuses, get it done. So that's why I'm doing this podcast and I hope you enjoy it. Um, I believe it will be a, a, a great time at the very least, but let's get into the topic at hand. And what I wanted to talk about today 
And the title of today's podcast is What's in the Fourth of July? Um, and the reason why we're calling it that, the Fourth July, um, is because right now in society, especially African Americans, we're trying to figure out do we celebrate America's freedom? Do we care about their separation between Great Britain and America? Or do we find ourselves skipping the barbecue and just only having fun on Juneteenth? And I wanted to look at the history of 4th of July and why African-Americans right now are feeling this way and why are they starting to finally and embrace Juneteenth. And I think it's going to be a fun conversation to say the very least. But before I, I, I get into that, I want to tell you my 4th of July story in terms of how I've always felt about 4th of July. You know, growing up as a kid, 4th of July was everything. I mean, to be honest, it was my favorite holiday as a kid. And the reason why is simple. You understand, I grew up in the 90s. So the first few 4th of Julys I remember was us going to my grandmother's house, my grandfather's house in Compton and having a barbecue and having uh, my dad buy street legal fireworks because L.A. County was legal to have those fireworks off of someone he's bargaining to get the very best price and making sure he get the biggest one and telling the dude, this better not be a dud, man. This better work. If not, I'm going to come find you. And uh, sometimes they worked. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes he found them. Sometimes, you know, it is what it is. Then when it got a little older, um, in the late 90s, you know, living in Moreno Valley, California, we'll go to Morrison Park and see the fireworks. And uh, that was just so much fun. And the biggest part was that all my family would, got, would get together and we just had fun. You know what I mean? You know, dominoes going, spades going, barbecue. And my favorite part was the sodas. And the only reason I said the sodas was my favorite part because growing up in the 90s, my parents didn't just let me grab sodas every day. It was like, you're going to drink water, right? So water holds water to be exact if you're outside all day, right? No going in and out the house. But on 4th of July, we had a cooler full of sodas. I could pull a soda anytime I wanted to. So I had a soda every 20, 30 minutes. And I tried every single flavor I could. And I would even hide a couple for the next couple of days because I'm thinking like, man, I need to hold these over just in case. I'm not going to see these for a while. So I just had so much fun with 4th of July. And, you know, the brand new outfits, the red, white, and blue coordinating the seven Olympics, Jordan shoes, you know, having a good time based off that. And I didn't think about the independence of America or anything of that nature. I was just only thinking about one thing, you know, having fun with my family. Um, but the older I got, I started to look at things. And once I found out about Juneteenth when I was a teenager, I looked at things a little different. And I, I stopped going to Morrison Park in 2005. And the last time I saw Five Works Live was 2009 in, in Washington, D.C. And like you in the nation's capital, you got to go see fireworks. It only makes sense. So with that being said, it's like being African-American in in this country, it's, it's like a double consciousness, like W. Du Bois says. He says this, one feels his two-ness an American, a Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled, striving, two warring ideas in one dark body. 
whose dog strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder. It's like these two ideas fighting within each other. Like, I'm proud to be American, but at the same time, I hate what I see America does to African-Americans and people who look like me. So it's kind of hard for me to be patriotic, right? That's what so many African-Americans are saying right now. And we're going to look at like the De- Declaration of Independence. What, it is, what does it even really say? Because most people haven't even read that thing, maybe since high school, if they even read it then. Then on top of that, we're going to look at the missing portions. And we're going to look at what Thomas Jefferson, who he was as a person. And lastly, some of the responses historically by black leaders. So first, we let's look at the Declaration of Independence and how the founding fathers found themselves at that table. So here's the deal. Before all of this, let's break up idea, because Declaration of Independence is all about breaking up with Great Britain. Years before, 13, 14 years before, literally all of them was in love with being a part of Great Britain. They, they, they saw the king, King George's amazing figure. They, they, they thought that being British made them better than everyone. But all of a sudden, they found themselves paying taxes and they couldn't handle it. And they were paying those taxes because that war that they had between the French-Indian War that lasts so many years cost Great Britain too much money. So they, they pretty much told the, the 13 colonies, come up off your money. We need some taxes. Um, also, we got to keep an army here to protect you. So we're going to start taxing everything from sugar, glass, all those things. We need that. And when that started to happen, the 13 colonies didn't understand how you're going to tax me without representation. We all heard that before. And their idea was that you've never done direct taxes before. And you always tell us that, you know, it's, it's up to us how, you know, if we want to be a part of this taxation. And as long as we got somebody in, in the representation for us, we, We'll be all good. But um, they started getting upset and um, they found themselves, you know, with the taxes of, of on tea. And you all know about the Boston Tea Party threw that tea over dressed as Native Americans. And because of that, intolerable acts happened. Intolerable acts was things like they closed the port of Boston because Boston was wilding. They literally found themselves uh, forcing Redcoats to stay in their homes, and they, they they couldn't do it anymore. You also had the the bloody massacre of Boston, um, where you had the very first African American, very first person who died was um, African American for this country. So when you see that as African American, you're thinking like, man, we really putting in for this country already, and we're literally slaves. He was a freeman, but. At the time, you know, we were slaves. So we find ourselves them gathering up together in 1776 in the summer. And they they charge a young guy, 33-year-old Thomas Jefferson, to pretty much write their breakup letter to Great Britain. And, of course, it was edited and, and, and they looked at it. But there's some things that we all know that's in there. That, that kind of says a whole lot about the goals of America. And one very particular line is this. 
We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of, guess what? Happiness, right? So when you read that, you literally thinking like, man, that means everyone, right? And when he's talking about these God-given rights, these natural rights he talks about, they're pretty much saying these are God-given rights that no man can take away, right? They can't take it and they didn't give it to you because God gave them to you. And the crazy thing is it's all about basic human rights because it's from John Locke. But one-fifth of the population at the very time had none of these human rights and had none of those um, ideas of these rights that can't be taken away, that's God-given and everyone's equal. Because John Locke, 100 years before, is writing this saying that not even a king is born naturally better than a, a regular person on the street. We are literally the same. Your position may be higher, but God gave me the same rights you have. And with that being said, they're looking at African-Americans as at this point, no different from cattle or property, land or any of those things. So they're not looking at them as the idea of having that principle of having this independence, these rights. And Thomas Jefferson, looking at the Enlightenment era, he, he's looking at it as everyone's the same. Right. And and some say he was trying to sneak that in there to to dis slavery. And, and some people may be right on that. But but here's the deal. Locke says that if you murder someone, you literally forfeit your God given rights because you're working on that. How can I say the outside of reason? And here's the crazy thing. Pretty much everyone who signed the the Declaration of Independence had slaves. And I would like to liken that as they're, they're part of murder because you had all these people being sent over on boats, dying, jumping out of the ship, being beaten, right? Disconnecting them from their culture, their language, their people, right? Stopping relationships, raping. So you got all these things happening and they're talking about basic human rights. But look at the things they're doing to slaves, right? To people of color, black people. And we find ourselves thinking like, what's this idea of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? And the real word there is property. John Locke says property. But he, but Thomas Jefferson exchanged it with happiness because he saw happiness as pretty much one and the same thing as property. The idea of freedom, opportunity, and ownership, Right. But here's the deal. The African-Americans or the Africans at the time didn't have opportunity for any of those things. They were literally the property, the ownership that made these slave owners happy. Right. And at the end of the day, slavery wasn't even mentioned in this declaration or in the Constitution. Even when we talk about the three-fifth compromise, they're not calling them slaves at the three-fifth compromise. They call them bots, some form of servant, right? Servitude. So they were really hush-hush on using the word slavery. So we find out in the Declaration of Independence, they're not even thinking about slaves, right? So when you're African-American, you're hearing this, are you really ready to join a 4th of July parade? Mm, I don't know just yet. So let's, let's look at something else real quick. So there's a list of issues that America 
or soon to be America has with Great Britain. And one of them is this. Listen to this. This is what this literally in the Declaration of Independence. We're going to call it a DOI right now. He has endeavored talking about the king to prevent the population of these states for the purpose of obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migration hither. So he's talking about how the king wouldn't allow people from other European countries to easily come over to the colonies unless they literally find themselves denouncing where they're from. Right. And when you're looking at America today, America's making it difficult for people to come over, making it difficult for immigration. You see ICE really being very active. You have children being locked behind cages, being separated from their parents. So literally one of their grievances was the king not allowing people to migrate over. So it seems like literally America has become the one thing or exactly what they broke up with Great Britain for. That, that's ironic if you think about it. We literally had people die in the Revolutionary War for this one of these grievances saying we should have more immigrants coming. And now we're literally forcing people out of the country if they're for some reason having having online classes at their college. This is literally what's happening today. It's it's a I would say it's almost a full circle. We became the exact thing we hated, right? And the idea that the Declaration of Independence, the DOI, was setting all these standards of freedom is kind of crazy because Thomas Jefferson said I was that he was writing this in the mindset that this will be this is going to be the like the mind and the breath of America. No, this is not a legal document. This is not the Constitution, but it's the foundation of what we started this country for. The idea of literally striking out on our own and making sure everyone was created or at least treated equal. And even when the Declaration of Independence was written, I mean, women definitely weren't treated equal. And we know by the Constitution, voting wise, you had to have property in a white male to, to even vote it for for quite some time in this country. So it's, it's hypocritical to say the least. But looking at the original passage of the Declaration of Independence, we find out that Thomas Jefferson wrote something that's, I think, when you read it, it's, it's eye-opening. And I'm going to read it to you. And this is another grievance to the king. He says this. So Thomas Jefferson to the king says this. He has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty, carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere or to incur miserable death in their transportation. When you hear that, it's like, bro, is woke like he's super woke. But here's the crazy thing. He's literally placing blame on slavery completely on the king that for some reason they, they're playing an innocent part in slavery and that this war is being waged by the king, right? Taking these innocent people right to to America through the transatlantic slave trade. 
So understand that we know that middle passage, you, you're literally sitting or laying at the bottom of the boat in ridiculous heat, having to relieve yourself, own yourself, and this stuff is running the, on everyone else. And on top of that, little to no sunlight if you do get on the top uh, deck. And if you're a woman, chances are you're going to be raped by the crew. So he's literally blaming the king for all of that. And the, the craziest thing to me is the idea of them not playing any role in this misery. In this transportation, if there is if there's no demand, there will be no supply. That's simple. Right. And the next thing he says to the king in this forgotten paragraph that was taken out is this. He's he's saying he is now exciting those very people to rise in arms amongst us and to purchase that liberty of which he has deprived them by murdering the people on whom he has obtruded them so obtruded means literally forced upon so now he's saying the king has forced these slaves upon these 13 colonies in these the planting um community those who had plantations making millions of dollars in, in today's uh dollars right so He's literally saying, like, we're, we're victims here. We don't really want these slaves. They're, they're forced upon us, so we're going to just, you know, take advantage of, of the opportunity. But we don't really want them, right? But the crazy thing is he's getting mad about this proclamation that was made by Lord Dumore that was literally very similar, if not pretty much the same, that Lincoln made during the, the Civil War. Pretty much saying, if you find your way on this side, you're going to be free if you fight for us. And if you're a slave, it makes only sense to do that. But he's saying, oh, you're exciting them against us. You're making them want to fight or kill us. And, and they should really be wanting to kill you. Right. So it just really seems that he's taking no fault in this at all. Right. And it's scary to think about that. This very paragraph that he deleted or at least was taken out by the editors because he's of course he wrote it and other people had to look through and edit it that they replaced it with literally calling native american savages right and he talks about being a, a group being excited against them and also about these savages right that pretty much would do harm to anyone so he replaced that with more racism. To, if, you, if you're thinking about it, it's like, you know, looking at him, he, although he's, he, he comes off as if he's woke and that he's even said that slavery is a necessary evil that has to die out and the transatlantic slave trade has to die out and slavery is wrong. But at the same time, he's calling Native American savages and which we're about to find out next He's really taking a big part in slavery. So with him saying that slavery needs to be done and it's a evil necessity, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. And the craziest thing is he's 33 at this time. 
his first set of slaves that he he received was at the age of 21. And he he inherited them by, by his father, through his father. So that lets you know right then and there, he grew up with slaves. He grew up with having slaves taking care of all his needs. And here's the scariest and one of the craziest things to think about, that he marries a woman whose father is a slave trader, one of the wealthiest slave traders. This guy had four plantations, over 14,000 acres. He was married three times, 11 kids through that, through those three marriages. And on top of all that, he had a, uh, had a, a slave as they were called mistress, but he was raping a slave and he had six kids by them, by Betty Hemings. So if you look at that, like he, he, it seems like he looked for a certain person to marry, right? To set him up for life. So with marrying the, one of the largest slave traders in Virginia's daughters, he ended up inheriting by 31, two years before the Declaration of Independence, over 135 slaves, right? Including a three-year-old girl named Sally Hemings, which happened to be his wife, half-sister. So, and he got those 14,000 acres. So he, he literally made out in a deal, right? And he's telling us slavery is horrible. But while he's writing the Declaration of Independence and while he wrote the, that so-called woke statement, bro had almost 200 slaves, right? So he's literally taking full advantage of slavery. And the, the crazy thing is that in his conscience, he's telling us it's wrong, but he's benefiting so much from it. So the scary thing is that there's there were men there that didn't see anything wrong with slavery. So you can imagine the horrors they put slaves through because Thomas Jefferson still beat his slaves. He still said the master had to be hard handed and he tried. He tried it other ways and it didn't work, he said. So he was still very aggressive with his slaves. And and the crazy thing is that when his wife passed away and he ended up in France, he ended up raping a 14 year old girl, which was his his half pretty much his wife's half sister, the daughter of the slave that his father in law was raping. So and you think about Sally, this is like a generational curse that she watched her mother be raped and watched her mother uh, be taken advantage of by the master. And now she's destined to live the same life. Like literally at 31 years old, he he took in this three year old child, three year old slave. And by the time, by time she's 14, he's completely taken advantage of her. So when you say that, you know, when you, when you think about the things that he's said about freedom and, and independence, he's a beyond a hypocrite. He's a tortured man. Like we have to understand that he's literally telling us that slavery is wrong. And in his mind, he's, he's, he's saying slavery is wrong, but he has almost 200 slaves. He's raping a 14 year old girl that was a half sister to his wife and ended up having six kids by her. So this 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 so-called relationship lasted for four decades. So let, let, let's just kind of go in his psyche that he's telling this so bad. So you would think that throughout his life, he will make changes. Right. Throughout his whole life, he he, he owned almost 600 slaves in and out selling, keeping some 
selling some to the deep south. And if you sold any to the deep south, you're pretty much signing their death certificate because the deep south was much worse than upper Virginia, where he was from. So literally, he's doing all these things. And you're thinking maybe at the at his deathbed, he 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 will release all his slaves. He only released his children and a couple others. And he sold almost then they sold almost 200 at his death. Right. So he released uh, Sally and some of the kids. But other than that, his family sold off the other 200 slaves. So when you when you're looking at at the Independence Day and you look at the man who wrote this and who, who talked about us being created equal, you're looking at something you're looking at some real moral issues, some real hypocritical things. And we're looking at the idea that, you know, even he himself said, yeah, it'd be great to free slaves. But he thought if you freed all the slaves at once, that slaves will come back and and somehow be so bitter that they would want to hurt or kill white whites. And that he thought even if you freed one slave or two slaves at a time individually, where are they going to go, right? What opportunities will they have? They have to be skilled, skilled at something. So he's making excuses to make it difficult to even free his slaves. So looking at Thomas Jefferson, he's literally not living up to all that he supposedly believes in. Even when the Missouri Compromise happened, you know, he wasn't for it. He said, that's a bad idea that slavery has to be ended but you still have hundreds of slaves so when we look at historically african americans and and what they they think about it like leadership i mean of course we we know frederick douglas and we're going to get into frederick douglas and we have benjamin banneker who wrote an open letter to thomas jefferson kind of getting at thomas jefferson about the idea of freedom and independence and saying if you really for it like you say you are I hope, sir, that you you ride with us. And um, the the idea of that is, of course, he wasn't. Of course, he was hypocritical, and they knew it. Um, and 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 Frederick Douglass, what what makes his speech so amazing? This is 1852, and he's a former slave in New York, and and he says this: Why am I called to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your nation? independence so right then and there he's telling them like you got me here for no reason because this is not my nation this is not my country because i'm not a citizen here i can't do anything and people who look like me are still in, enslaved but you called me here to speak about independence when my people are not free i may be free but my people aren't so until all of us are free, none of us are. Like, how real is that? Like, literally, he's standing up there. They asked him to come speak, and he, he getting at them, right? He's telling them how he really feels and the truth. And he, he could have easily spoke, got, got his money, and moved on. So we have to understand that when you look at a lot of the other speeches Frederick Douglass um, gave and the things he, he wrote, he's a very blunt person, Right. So they, they kind of had to know what was coming. And another thing he said was this. This is this is very interesting. He says this. Are the great principles of political freedom 
and of natural justice embodied in the Declaration of Independence extended to us. So he's saying all this natural rights that you're talking about and even within the speech, he talks about, do I have to argue that I'm even a man? It's, it's clear that I'm a man. I, 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 I walk, I talk, I breathe, I eat, I feel. So obviously I'm a man. So if all men are created equal, that has to be extended to me. Right. And, and the idea that for some reason, blacks aren't real people. This is something we see all through history, even today, that they call us different. Right. Um, when you look at the chief of police in L.A. in the 1980s, Gates. He, he, he was talking about the chokehold and said African-Americans, for some reason, they respond different. Right. So that's a myth. That's a lie. So at the end of the day, obviously, black people are humans. Right. But for some reason, they're not receiving the same independence. And even today, many African-Americans can say, looking at the news and, and looking at how we're, we're being treated by police officers and how there's a, a major income gap and wealth gap between African-Americans and whites, home ownership, health care, the list goes on, that are these same freedoms extended to us? Then he says this, I do not hesitate to declare with all my soul that the character and conduct of this nation never looked blacker to me than on the 4th of July. And he goes on to talk about, you know, the celebration and, and the hymns and the songs and all these things. Are you, you're pretty much mocking me. And he's looking at this and saying like, on 4th of July, you're, you're pretty much spitting in my face and saying, I got, I, I, nah, 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 I have freedom and you don't. Right. And that you're living on the idea that you're Christians and, and you love people and you have compassion, but yet you have slaves for hundreds of years here being more than mistreated, being beaten, raped, killed, right? And with all this happening, he's saying on 4th of July, that one day, that day makes it much clearer to me how black this situation is, how dark the situation is, and how how horrible this nation can be, Right? And that it's living is not living up to its promise. And that's a dangerous place to be. And, and Martin Luther King will say, you know, I'm trying to cash this check and you keep telling me it's insufficient funds. That's I have a dream speech. Right. So Frederick Douglass is saying, like, I'm looking at all this. And if you're African-American today, sometimes you, you're looking at the fireworks. You're looking at people wearing red, white and blue, people waving flags. And instead of being glad or patriotic about it. You're actually angry because it's like they're living a, f a fully free life with privilege without any issues, without thinking about how your race will affect your income or how your race will affect the way you're treated or how your race would affect if you're going to make it out of a, a routine stop or not. That's literally what African-Americans and a lot of people of color in general feel. So it's hard to have that same glorious feeling about 4th July because you're looking at it, what it represents, freedom. And many of us still don't feel free. Then he goes on to say this, though. What to American slave is your 4th of July? I answer a day that reveals to him more than all other days of the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. 
So he's letting us know right then and there that African-Americans, even to this day, feel as if this just is a reminder of how this country has been built upon black backs, right? From the economy to actual buildings. We're talking about the Capitol building. We're talking about the White House, right? Free labor allowed America to become a superpower to even in wars using African-Americans be on front line. We're talking about every single war, Vietnam War. We're talking about the Revolutionary War. We're talking about all every single war, World War II. African-Americans were a part of it. So building your freedom off of the backs of enslaved people or people who are being mistreated, right? And not receiving the same token of independence. So he's realizing that African-Americans, not even realizing he's letting us know that African-Americans are consistently the victims, but they're consistently the ones that this country is being built upon, especially in 1852. Then he says this, and this is the last quote from, from this, because this his speech, you can have quotes for days. And I know there's a video out of all his, his descendants reciting the speech, but it's nothing like getting a copy and reading through it, because those words really jump off the page. And the last quote I want to read from his speech is this. A thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation of savages. There is not a nation of the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. He's literally took a word that was used in the Declaration of Independence savages the idea that Europeans would come in and save these savages make them um, how can I say European or make them civilized he's saying even with all this civilization that you claim to have and all this nobility that you claim to have that at the end of the day you're much worse than the savages and your crimes run deeper okay okay thank you guys for listening there's so much more that I could say, but I wanted to keep it. Most of these pod- podcasts should be at least 30, no more than 30 minutes, but this one with the opening took a little longer. But I want to do something called Be Inspired Moment, um, where I give you a little something to take home with you. And one thing I want to say, I know 2020 has been beyond difficult. And I know it's been a tough year for all of us with the pandemic with the racial tension, with the injustice that we're seeing. But I want to say this to you. This year has been a year for all of us to find ourselves, to find out literally about the people around us. And the last thing is to find out who you can become. So I want to say this. Take advantage of dark times to find your light and learn how to shine. And with that being said, you can only see the stars really when it's dark outside. And sometimes you can only see who's really with you when it's dark outside. So this is the best time for you to find that light, start shining, and be the best you. Sometimes I think about Thomas Jefferson and his memorial and all the great words that are behind him and around him and him standing in the middle of the dome and looking off to the water It's a very inspirational place. But at the same time, I think about the 
nearly 600 slaves he owned. The man had amazing words and amazing theories that, if really put in place, could have changed America forever. Imagine what it could have been. Thomas Jefferson and his glory just couldn't live up to his own words. But I will say this, his words sparked the idea of freedom for millions of people. His, his thoughts, his, his theories, his words sparked the minds of people like MLK and, and, and like Frederick Douglass to have something to stand on and something to take with them when they went to go speak to white America and, say, and let them know these are your words, not mine. And a, a great quote from MLK is, is, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It's complicated being black in America. I don't think it's my job to tell you if you celebrate 4th of July that you lose your black card or that you're not down with, with, the, with the movement or you're not woke. I, I, it's not my job to say because you want to enjoy some ribs and a hot link, some dominoes and spades and play some oldies that all of a sudden you're not black enough. But I will say this. Malcolm says this, actually. You're not supposed to be so blind with patriotism that you can't face reality. Wrong is wrong, no matter who says it. So even though we want to be patriotic, we can still be patriotic and be real. We can still be patriotic and tell it how it is. We can still be patriotic and hold America accountable. So you can love the country. You can love being here. You can say it's the greatest country on earth, but even the greatest country on earth has a lot of work to do. And with that being said, I promise you this, that what makes America so great is you can make that decision to either celebrate 4th of July or skip out and protest. But here's the deal. I've made my choice. Just make sure whatever choice you make, you're proud about it. God bless. Have a good one. Thank you. I can do all things. I can do all things. Yeah, yeah. I'm not afraid of the moment. I'm not afraid. I can't hold it. I gotta show them. Gotta get up in the morning. I gotta do it for Kobe. Let me